Hi, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm really glad you joined us for Season 4. We are streaming daily chapters from full-length Christian fiction audiobooks just for you. And the sponsor for this season of the Unabridged Podcast is Blessing on the Run, which is also the audiobook you're going to listen to. So if you would like to listen to the entire audiobook at once, you can go to alanaterry.com slash blessing to get your free audiobook copy, or you can tune in right now for today's chapter of Blessing on the Run. Chapter 20 I've told Drisclay everything and now the silence is too much for me to handle. Am I in trouble? I ask. For being the twelve-year-old victim of statutory rape? He raises an eyebrow, the closest thing to an expression I've seen on his face all day. No. What about... I clear my throat. What about the other stuff? He waves his hand in the air. Does that mean he doesn't want to talk about it? Should I be worried? Do I need a lawyer? So last week, Jared told you that unless you helped him with his bank heist, he'd hurt your family and tell everyone what you just told me. Ignoring the lump in my throat, I nod. And nobody else knows this story? I shake my head and he lets out a low whistle, like he's impressed at something. I finally muster up the courage to ask, Is it going to help you find my son? He shrugs. I don't see how. Great. I have just confessed to this detective what I've never had the guts to share with my parents, my fiancé, any sort of counselor or therapist or pastor, and he's saying it doesn't even matter. I picture leaning into this reclining chair until it swallows me up forever. Drisclay meets my eye, holds my gaze in his... At first, I am moved enough to expect some word of kindness or compassion, but all he says is, You know, some people would blame you for what you did. I stare into my lap, as if he had to tell me. The way I see it, the real criminal in this case was the baby's father. I can't look up, can't meet his gaze again. I'm already so close to crying, I have to bite my lip. I'm not saying you did the right thing, he adds, as if I ever had any doubts. I'm just saying, if it were my daughter in your situation, after I killed the thug who did those things to her, I'd tell her that I understood how someone so young and vulnerable could make that kind of terrible mistake. If he's trying to lessen my sense of guilt, I'm not sure it's working. The tears stream down my cheeks. Drisclay passes me a box of tissues, tosses his empty styrofoam cup into the trash, and walks out of the den. Chapter 21 Mom's bending over me, clucking assurances and trite words of comfort that do nothing to take away my shame and remorse. Much as I realize the detective was trying to offer me an escape from my guilt, I know he's wrong. There are some things that maybe I didn't have much choice about, 
the fact that when I was 16, Jared dragged me to an abortion clinic when I got pregnant with his child for the second time, or agreeing to work a double shift because that 11-year-old he'd just brought into the stable kept crying so hard she couldn't work. What else could I do? It was either that or watch her forced onto the streets where she probably would have hyperventilated from fear. But that day at school, the day I went into labor with Jared's baby, I had every choice in the world. I could have walked into the nurse's office. Do you know how many times I set my mind to stumble out of the bathroom stall where I'd locked myself in and tell her everything? When the bell rang and I realized school was over and Jared still hadn't come to pick me up, I could have gone home to Carl and Sandy, let them know what was happening. I could have found a teacher, the principal, anyone. Instead, I stayed in that stall long past the afternoon bell, into the evening when the halls filled once more with everyone who'd come to watch the boys' basketball game. It was around that time I stopped wondering how scared Carl and Sandy must have felt when I didn't come home after school. All I could think was, please, God, help. I hadn't grown up in the church, but in between my mom taking off with some lifeguard half her age and me starting my journey in the foster system, I lived with my grandma. She was this old-school Christian who made me memorize all kinds of Bible verses forbid any kind of talking or wiggling in church, the works. So I believed in God by the time I had locked myself into the bathroom stall, believed in him enough to beg him to have mercy on me and make this nightmare end. Why hadn't Jared come? He'd promised. I'd waited in my classes for as long as I could, every minute expecting one of the office assistants to stop by with a note excusing me for the rest of the day. Eventually, the pain and fear were so bad I went to the bathroom and didn't come out, but I figured if Jared wanted to find me, he could page me over the PA system. Where was he? We had a plan, a plan that sounded grotesque and terrifying, but a plan that Jared promised to carry out for me. We were in it together. How many times had he told me that while pledging his eternal love? I thought through what he told me a few hours earlier when I called him on the payphone. If it gets real bad or things start to happen real fast before I get there, you remember the plan, don't you? Yes, I remembered. The plan was for Jared to be right there with me, explain everything that was happening, help me through the discomfort and the fear and the tearing, and then he was going to do the rest. You remember the plan, don't you? Had he known he wouldn't be here? No, that wasn't like him. He had a good reason. Maybe Mel was even sicker. Maybe she was in the hospital. Jared loved me. He knew how much I needed him, and the fact that we were apart was as painful and traumatic for him as it was for me. That's what he told me at midnight when I took the city bus from school to his place. Mel was there looking quite recovered from whatever infection she'd had. 
probably thanks to the miracle of antibiotics and Jared's TLC. But as soon as he saw me, he told Mel to get lost and spent the entire night and the whole next day holding me, kissing me, telling me how proud he was. You did what we talked about, didn't you? Yeah, I told him, starved as I was for his approval. I remembered the plan. Another kiss, dozens of kisses. Good girl. He didn't know the whole truth. He still doesn't, but that doesn't matter. He knows enough that if he wants to ruin my life even more than he already has, he just has to tell my story to the world. Chapter 22 This monotony of waiting is even more difficult than the earlier stages of panic and worry. Why hasn't the detective given us any more information? He's out again. No word when he'll be back. It's getting later in the afternoon now. If Tyson were here, I'd make him take a nap. Not that he'd sleep, but it's that time of day when I find myself in need of some peace and quiet. Which is why when Damien asks me if I want to go on a walk around the neighborhood, I grab my shoes. You'll call if you hear anything, I say, and my parents promise they will. So with cell phones in hand, Damien and I venture outside. It's cold, but not as bad as some Christmases I remember. Not much snow. Gray and dreary, really. A fitting backdrop for this chapter in my life. You're quiet, Damien comments, and I wonder just what sort of conversation he expects me to have while my son's still missing. You thinking about Tyson? I suppose he's just trying to fill the silence, but seriously, how dumb can you be? Just worried, is all I say. Yeah, me too. And I'm grateful because if today's shown me anything besides my own heinous guilt, it's that Damien loves my son. He'll make a really good stepdad, if he'll still have me once he discovers what I've done. For a fraction of a second, I wonder if I should tell him, if somehow hearing it from me now will make things easier later. But I'm still holding on to hope that the detective will find my son, arrest Jared, and my secrets will stay safe. Damien holds my hand. I don't even think about it, really. As if I could be dreaming of romance with everything else going on. Tyson missing, plus all my memories of those wasted years. Wasted decades, if we're going to be honest. Spent with Jared. Convinced he was the one for me. Certain I couldn't manage to live my life without him. Telling myself I needed to keep him from getting mad at me because he knew my secret. Or at least he thought he did. And now he has the power to destroy my life. If he hurts Tyson, what do I have to keep on living for? And if he lets everyone know about that baby, I'll lose the love and support of my parents and my boyfriend. Or should I call him my fiancé again? I don't even know, but we'll have time to sort that out later. After Jared's arrested, Tyson's returned and my secrets buried and safe. That was really cool of your parents to pray for him like that, Damien says, 
Yeah. They're neat folks. Yeah. I wish my parents had been like that growing up. Yeah. He's silent for a while, but I'm so lost in thought I hardly notice. My mind's jumped ahead to when I was sixteen, still living with Carl and Sandy, except by then they'd adopted me, and I called them Mom and Dad, still certain that Jared was the only man who would ever love me, even though at that point he was sharing me with his druggy friends and making me walk the streets whenever money got tight. In spite of everything, I didn't consider myself a prostitute. I didn't do it every night or even every week. Sometimes months went by where I wouldn't work at all. Besides, to be a prostitute, you had to have a pimp or madam, and I didn't. When Jared was arrested the first time and the guy from the state told me what he'd been charged with, I laughed. Jared was a lot of things. Drug dealer, addict, cheater, womanizer, and abuser, but he wasn't a pimp. Because if he was a pimp, what would that make me? I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant again. Went on to get my GED, but that wouldn't be until over a decade later. I didn't want Jared to find out I was pregnant. I was so afraid he'd make me relive the trauma I'd gone through in the girls' bathroom at my junior high. But there was no way to keep my secret from him. Mom and Dad were all anti-abortion at the time, still are, by the way, and they'd talked about it enough at home and showed me those gruesome pictures and gory descriptions that I put up a pretty decent fight when Jared tried to take me to the clinic. I even threatened to tell the people there about the differences in our ages, remembering how scared he'd been of going to prison when I was younger. But all it did was make him laugh. He said the age of consent was sixteen. I found out later that he was lying, by the way. According to state law, he was so much older than I was that he still could have done prison time. But where would I have learned that? It's not like Google was around and I could just type it into my computer browser. So that was my first loss in the battle against having an abortion, a procedure I was sure would guarantee my soul's eternal condemnation. When I continued to fight, he took to threatening my family, which I was used to by then, and then he said he'd tell my parents about the baby I delivered back in junior high. If I'd been thinking clearly, I would have realized that telling my folks our dirty little secret was the very last thing Jared would have dreamed of doing until he was safe and protected by those statute of limitation clauses. Again, I ask you, where would I have gone to learn all this junk? Scared of my parents finding out about that baby and so worried about what their uppity church friends would say about my current pregnancy, I ran away. It wasn't my first time leaving my mom and dad's, but I had never abandoned Jared before. You don't even want to know where I went or who I stayed with or what I did to get by. But two months later, I was so shaken and battered and traumatized that I ran right back to Jared, pleaded with him to forgive me for being so stubborn, begged him to take me to the clinic so I could correct my mistakes and prove how much I loved him. 
There's a common assumption that abortion is this giant eraser that simply wipes away the consequences of your past and gives you a fresh start. And maybe that's how it is for some women, but as soon as I left the clinic with Jared, I realized that what I'd done was just as evil as what happened in that junior high bathroom. There was no way I could go home and face my parents after that, and I told Jared so. He was happy to find us a place far from their prying eyes, happy to have me all to himself without any school schedules or curfews preventing me from being his round-the-clock slave, happy to get me even more dependent on the drugs and chemicals I could no longer function without. People sometimes talk about their lives turning into a spiral. In my case, it wasn't even that complicated. It was a freefall, no tailspin, just a straight plunge with a terrible crash at the end. Eventually, I went back home, crawling on my hands and knees, at least figuratively, begged my parents to forgive me for leaving them, experiencing the same sense of regret and remorse I felt when I first returned to Jared, submitted to my family's rules and oversight like I had so recently surrendered my will to his. Trading one kind of oppression in for another. That's how I saw it. I was stupid, my brain so mixed up from the drugs and the trauma and from Jared himself, but I honestly thought my parents' home was too confining, thought I was old enough to make decisions on my own, and that's how I began my years as a human yo-yo, bouncing from home to Jared to the streets and back to my mom and dad again. In between those phases were different rehab and detox programs my parents wanted me to try, but like I already mentioned, I wouldn't find my deliverance from the drugs until I was well into my twenties and pregnant again with Jared's child. I sigh. All Damien and I have been doing for the past ten minutes is walking by the six houses in my parents' cul-de-sac, then turning around and going back. My eyes stay glued to the front door in case Mom comes out with news, even though I know it would be faster for her to call my cell if she had something to say. Damien's struck up a few conversations, or at least he's tried to. Can't blame the poor soul. He's asking questions about prayer and my parents' faith, but I'm still stuck in these painful memories. What kind of mother am I? I abandon one baby in a junior high bathroom, let my boyfriend talk me into aborting my second, and lose my third when I'm not watching. I still don't know how Jared got my son out of the house. Technically, I still don't know that Jared's involved at all, but it's the assumption everyone, including the detective, is working with. I think about some of the darker chapters in the Psalms and wonder if it's appropriate to pray for God to smite my ex, dash his head against the rocks, all that junk. It's something I could ask my dad, but I'd rather go on not knowing I'm sinning by praying this way. Ignorance of the law, right? That's something weird about God's forgiveness. 
I mean, I've done terrible things. That comes as no surprise. Some of the worst things a human being, a mother, can do, I have done to the children I was supposed to love and cherish and protect. But I can still go to church and hear my dad preach and feel all warm and squishy when he says that God can forgive even the worst of sinners. So what's that mean for someone like Jared? that all he has to do at the end of his life is bow his head and close his eyes and say, Dear God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me? Then he'll get into heaven? This man who pimped out fifty or sixty girls or more during his career, most of us well under age? This demon spawn who's kidnapped my son and has done heaven knows what to him by now could ask for forgiveness— and God would have the audacity to welcome him into paradise? I can't even. So that's where I get caught up on this whole idea of grace. We all want it for ourselves, but what's that mean for our enemies? And I'm not just talking about the loudmouth gossip who starts some dumb rumor about you that people will only believe if they're stupider than she is. I'm talking about the man who might at this exact moment be torturing my child or preparing to... No, I won't go there. Come on, I tell Damien. I'm getting cold. Let's go back inside. We turn around and head back, but then Damien stops when his phone rings. My heart skips, but only for a second. If it was Mom or Dad or the detective, they'd be calling me. Hello? Damien's eyes widen, and then his entire face sets in a scowl. He's not saying anything. What? I strain my neck, hoping to see his screen. He turns his back to me, still silent. What is it? He ends with, Okay. That's all he says before he hangs up. Who was that? I ask. Damien shakes his head. Tell you later. No, you tell me now. He sets his jaw. Later. He grabs me by the arm. What are you doing? Let go of me. I don't know why he's rushing. I don't like the intensity in his expression or the strength of his grip. What's going on? Get in the car, he tells me when we reach my parents' driveway. Why? Where are we going? Just get in the car he says. I'm telling your parents we're headed to the store. It's Christmas. Just do what I say. I'm not used to Damien talking to me like this. I get into the passenger side of our car, my body trembling, but not from the cold. Half a minute later, he comes out the front door of my mom and dad's house, gets in, and starts up the engine. Tell me what's going on, or I'm getting out right now. My voice is strong, resolute. He sighs. That was Jared on the phone. He knew your cell would be tapped, so he called mine. He wants us to meet him at this address in the North End. He's bringing Tyson with him. Alana Terry here. I hope you enjoyed today's installment of Blessing on the Run. Please don't forget that you can listen to the entire audiobook of Blessing on the Run when you purchase it from Audible 
or wherever it is that you like to listen to digital audiobooks, or you can go to alanaterry.com blessing to download your free copy. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.